Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and envision the opportunities these trends create. We help them elevate the quality of their leadership and transform their organizations to build sustainable success and impact. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. And I am also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted to bring to you recorded live at the International Leadership Association Conference 2019 in Ottawa, Canada, whose theme is Courage to Lead, a series of interviews. Next, you'll hear Cynthia Cherry, the president of ILA, to introduce the conference and then I'll be back to introduce our guests. International instability is only getting worse in today's world, and it cries out for a need for leadership. Hi there, this is Cynthia Cherry, President and CEO of the International Leadership Association. And the ILA has its mission to advance leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. At this year's global conference in Ottawa, our theme was Leadership, Courage Required. And it was a gathering of 1,200 professionals from around the world to discuss, share, and explore the latest research, teachings, and best practices in leadership. In this series, ILA fellow Maureen Metcalf is the host of the 2019 series. And you will hear from corporate leaders, political leaders, and the leading scholars and teachers grappling with the complex issues of today. I hope you will join me in exploring these complex issues in the 2019 series. So I am delighted that today with us is the legendary Henry Mintzberg. Dr. Henry Mintzberg is a writer and educator, mostly about managing, organizing, developing managers, and rebalancing societies, which is his current focus. Henry sits in the Cleghorn Chair of Management Studies at the Days Hotel Faculty of Management, McGill University in Montreal. He authored 20 books, including Simply Managing and Bedtime Stories for Managers, which have earned him 20 honorary degrees. Henry co-founded the International Master's Program for Managers, as well as a venture, CoachingOurselves.com, novel initiatives for managers to learn together from their own experiences, a way for managers to learn in their own workplace. Mm-hmm. Henry may spend his professional life dealing with organizations but he spends his private life escaping from them, mostly in a canoe, up mountains, and on a bicycle. 
You can find out more about his adventures on Mintzberg.org, which includes his blog. During today's interview, we'll talk about Henry's recent book, Rebalancing Society, Radical Renewal Beyond Left, Right, and Center. Enough of the imbalance that is destroying our democracies, our planet, and ourselves. Enough of the pendulum politics of left and right, as well as the paralysis in the political center. The world we live in needs a form of radical renewal, unprecedented in human experience. This conversation presents an integrated framework to suggest a comprehensive way forward. Mm -hmm. And we are, as we mentioned in the introduction, at the International Leadership Association Conference, and Henry's just given uh, one of the introductory keynotes. And there were several conversations that struck me. So Henry, if you would revisit what you talked about uh, democracies and the very limited number of people who are actually living in democracies. Well, you know, everybody can see all the problems that are going on in the world between between climate change and, and inequality of, of wealth and uh, spread of nuclear weapons and, and all those things. And people can see more and more election of basically political thugs who uh, who uh, are destroying elected so but are destroying their own democracies so i looked at the uh, economist the economist does a ranking of uh, democracies in four categories uh, something like full democracies uh, uh, flawed democracies hybrids and kind of autocracies um, so i looked at those figures and they're kind of shocking in a way especially if you put them up against uh, the population of different countries. You have to go down about 15 countries uh, in population before you come to the first one that's a full democracy, which is Germany. The U.S. used to be, in a previous ranking, the U.S. used to be just above the cutoff, and then in the latest ranking, 2018, it was just below. Uh, so it's not included there. So, you know, you've got China as the most populous, and then India and so on. China uh, probably falls in the autocracy category in India, in the flawed democracy category. But you've got to get to Germany before you, uh, and that's like 15, 16 down on the list. Um, if you look at the 20 countries that are full democracies besides uh, Germany, uh, in fact, Germany's an exception, almost all of them, something like 16 of them, are less than 10 million population. Um, so they're all the Nordic countries, New Zealand, Ireland, uh, all those kinds of countries. Um, but only about four countries uh, that are bigger make it, like Germany and Canada and uh, uh, Britain, I think, is on there, and um, I think Ireland. Um, no, no, Ireland's below 10 million. I think the other one's Netherlands. But if you look at the percentage of the world's population that those 20 countries make up, it's 4.5% of the world's population. In other words, this democracy we talk about, this full democracy, is enjoyed by one person, less than one person in 20 worldwide. Um, now, the U.S. is not included, but there's reasons why the U.S. is called a flawed democracy. Gerrymandering of, uh, of districts would be one example. I don't know what, what, exactly what brought it below the numbers, but could be the, uh, the bribery that takes place in the U.S. Congress. I mean, the Supreme Court of the United States legalized 
bribery with the Citizens United decision that threw the gates open to, uh, to uh, political donations. And, and bribery is legal in the United States right now. So, so those figures are, are, are kind of shocking and indicative of how bad the problem is. So fewer than 5% of citizens on the planet live in democracies. Live in full democracy. Full democracy. I mean, the other, so many others are called, I wouldn't say America is not a democracy. Right. But I think their term is a good one. They live in flawed. Americans live in flawed, a flawed democracy. So that opens then a very different conversation and this idea of rebalancing. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about your three pillars because I think that underpins a great deal of what the rebalancing will look like. Yeah. Well, the book Rebalancing Society is basically is built on two fundamental points. Uh, the first point is that you can't balance a society on one leg uh, any more than you can balance a stool on one mm -hmm. leg. So the, they learned that in Eastern Europe. You can't balance a society on the, pro on the public sector, mm -hmm. uh, in their case, namely communism. What we're learning today, especially in the United States, is that you can't build a society on one leg, namely capitalism, and the private sector. Nothing wrong with the private sector as long as it's not exclusive, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in control, which it is in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's much too much power on one side. And in a sense, the U democracy in the United States is faltering for the very reason that the communist regimes in Eastern Europe collapsed, because they tried to do it on one leg, in their mm -hmm. case, public sector, in America's case, private sector, and it doesn't work. If you go to a country like Venezuela, they tried to do it on a third leg, which I call the plural sector namely on uh, populism, which is community-based. The Nazi regime in Germany in the 30s was community-based. So a healthy society has to sit on three legs, like a stool. And, and one leg is, is, is responsible businesses, one leg is, uh, is respected governments, and the third leg, public and private, private and public, and the third leg, which I call plural, is the um, is is uh, is robust communities, mm -hmm. community based. Uh, so, what's this plural sector? I mean, people call it NGO, refer to NGOs, non-government organizations. They refer to nonprofits. They refer to civil society. Got all kinds of labels. But what it is is the center that's that's community based. That is is neither. The institutions in it are neither owned by private uh, investors nor by the government. So who owns Greenpeace? Who owns Harvard uh, mm -hmm. or Miguel? Who owns, uh, I don't know, you know, uh, the, YM, the YMCA, mm -hmm. okay? There are enormous numbers of organizations like that. And co-ops are another one because they're owned by their members. They're not owned by investors, they're owned mm -hmm. by members, whether they're uh, customers or workers or whatever it is. And um, America has more co-op memberships than people. <laughs> there are 350 million co-op memberships in the United States, like REI, like all the mutual insurance companies, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So the sector is huge, but it's obscure because the, it's always been left versus right, mm -hmm. you know, and markets versus government controls and back and forth. I call it pendulum politics, just swinging back and forth. You need the third leg for balance, 
That leg is the community-based plural sector. Point number two, we're so out of balance that the only way we can get back to balance is through, initially, through the plural sector. It will take all three sectors, but initially it's going to happen through the plural sector. Business isn't going to give up all the enormous power, especially globalization power, voluntarily. Governments are too co-opted by businesses in too many places. They can't do much. So it's going to be a groundswell. You know, the, the plural sector is one other thing. It's you and I. It's everybody. We all live in the plural sector. We might, we might work in the private sector. We might vote in the public sector. We live in the plural sector. We live in our communities. We, you know, we volunteer for community associations. We work out at the Y. You know, we attend uh, what's called private universities, which are plur mm -hmm. really plural universities. Or we, the, all the renowned, or almost all the renowned hospitals in the United States are all plural sector. Nobody owns them. Nobody owns them. Whether it's uh, whether it's Mayo Clinic or Johns Hopkins or whatever. So, Cleveland Clinic. So that's our sector, and that's where things are going to have to start changing and that means you and me that means everybody um, and that's going to take we don't want a revolution with violence we don't want annihilation through climate change uh, so we're going to have to look to reformation uh, reformation as it happened with the church in the 15th 16th century in germany reformation means radical not radical but but significant social change without much violence, or without primarily Hopefully violence. Hopefully no violence. Yeah. We need a reformation. It's as simple as that. So in your book, you talk about the fact that part of what holds us back is there were people who benefit from this imbalance. So can you talk a little bit about that? Why? Because it makes sense. Well, you know, Karl Marx had this wonderful idea, you know, about uh, how the state would wither, or I guess that was Lenin, about how the state would wither away, and, you know, how communism was so wonderful. And it was wonderful until the party, uh, forget that word, apernerchiks, okay. the people inside the Communist Party basically took power, and, and, the, and, the, and communism served them. And now you've got the United States where capitalism is serving the famous 1%. It's really the 10 or 20% because mm -hmm. there are lots of people like me who benefit enormously from the 1%. You know, I live in a university that gets donations from the 1%. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20% of us are the beneficiaries and lots of other people are angry and feel left out. So you talk about then reformation as a concept. It makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. But what what could that look like? What what can people do? Well, let me give you two this? examples of reformations. I mean, one is the actual reformation, mm -hmm. which happened very quickly. I mean, this monk. He was just a monk uh, named Martin Luther, who uh, who nailed a, uh, a a list of ninety five theses on the door of a church. That, with other, other things he did, and thanks to the printing press that was new, it got around, just like we have social mm -hmm. media today. They had the printing press new, and um, got around very quickly. Uh, we were talking a decade or two. Uh, radical changes in the church mm -hmm. and, and, and the growth of the pro of Protestantism. Radical changes. Starts on the ground. 
I like to talk about the Quebec Quiet Revolution, which is really a Quiet Reformation, where the church, also happens to be the church, was incredibly dominant with corrupt politicians. And one of them, one of the politicians who was head of the province died. And um, in no time, there was a huge, massive shift without any central leadership or anything. But women who were, were almost all the Quebecois women I know uh, of my age, were one of eight, 10, 12 children. None of them have more than one or two children, almost none. That happened very quickly without any central leadership. The other is the New Deal in the United States. That was driven by Roosevelt. Um, but in fact, there was a whole groundswell movement mm -hmm. in the United States that brought Roosevelt to power and enabled him to act. You know, Roosevelt said to somebody, a black who came to him and said, you know, you've got to help us on some certain thing. And he said, I agree with you, go out and make me do it. In go other words, go do out it. and make me do it. In other words, I can't do it unless I have pressure from you. I want mm -hmm. to do it, but I can't do it alone. You've got to make me do it. In other words, it's a groundswell. It's got to come from plural, the plural sector. Mm -hmm. It's got to come from communities and the population. So if we extend that then to where we are today, and you're in Canada that is operating differently than the U.S., mm -hmm. um, and we have, and, and this was discussed this morning, we have a bit of radicalism in several different countries, mm -hmm. move toward the right. Yeah. Not that moving toward the right equals radical, but if extreme yeah. can, can become radical. By the way, I don't see any difference between Venezuela and, and, uh, and the Philippines. I don't care if one is right and the other is left. It's the same consequences. It's mm -hmm. the same thugs taking over. So if I am living in one of these countries, what can I do as the plural sector to, to move that forward? Well, you know, you can look at the example of how, com uh, how communism collapsed in Eastern Europe. There were movements, particularly in Poland, mm -hmm. uh, which is the initial movement. It started with a strike in mm -hmm. a union in the Gdansk, and it spread through the country. And there was an opening. The communists did everything they could to suppress uh, the plural sector, civil society, they, as China does today mm -hmm. in Tiananmen Square and so on. China does not want plural sector movements. All right, they suppress it. There was one little opening, a little wedge in Poland because the Catholic Church hadn't quite been totally marginalized. And uh, if I remember correctly, uh, there was a Catholic Pope at that time. And that gave an opening to solidarity, the union movement, mm -hmm. um, which in turn led all through Eastern Europe uh, to the fall of the Berlin Wall and so on and so forth. So there's a little wedge, there's got to be enough uh, predisposition. People have to be angry and willing to move, but they can't manifest it uh, the way the Trump vote or the Brexit vote manifests it, which is just angry exclusion. They've got to manifest it in something constructive, namely rebalancing. So we saw recently young people, uh, climate activists, and that seems like an example of the rebalancing. Yeah, Greta. Move toward. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's good. Uh, Greta, the Greta movement in a sense. I mean, she's wonderful. <laughs> no adult could stand up and say, how dare you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so everybody's charmed by this. And, and of course, it's, it's a bit shocking, but it's, it's wonderful. My concern about protests is that they've got to have teeth. 
Okay. Um, they can't be general. So, so to march after Trump uh, was elected was fine, but Trump just laughed at that. To occupy Wall Street is fine. Instead of occupying Wall Street, why didn't they go after some egregious behavior behind one of those closed doors on Wall Street? Like today, I would say, go after the sugar lobby that is, that is blocking uh, this horrible thing. Go after the pharmaceutical lobby that, that, that is a, a, allowed to charge obscene prices so that people die for want of medicine. Nobody denies the pharmaceutical companies' profits, but not obscene profits that result in the death of people who can't get the pharmaceuticals. That's manslaughter. That's manslaughter. You know, that's enabling the death of people who needn't die. How do we tolerate this? How do we, how do we, how, what are we going to tell our children, our grandchildren? What are we going to tell them about tolerating these pharmaceutical prices? What are the people who work for those companies? What are they going to tell their children? So the other one I think that's an interesting example was the children, young people, uh, who were marching because of gun violence in schools and went to Congress. Yeah. So it seems like our young people are really stepping up in ways that in some cases our adults have tried to do but haven't made the same impact. You know, I, I tried to tweet that movement in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, and what I said was, you need teeth. Surround Congress. Send a million kids, a mm -hmm. million kids around Congress. Keep replacing them so they can stay there mm -hmm. for months. Put them around. <laughs> like the Occupy Wall Street yeah, thing. Kind of. the yeah, put them we around Congress the and say, we're not leaving until assault rifles are totally banned. We're not leaving. You know, you won't, you won't, you'll have to walk in and out of Congress. We're not letting a single vehicle into Congress or whatever it is. I don't know mm -hmm. how it works. But uh, mm -hmm. until you get rid of assault weapons. That's an interesting prospect. I'm, I'm just trying to envision what the layout of the land is. And, yeah, I haven't, and I haven't checked it out. <laughs> but, but you get the idea. So what I hear is definitely put teeth behind it. Yes. The, the protesting without teeth is everybody feels good and they've done something and I, I applaud it. And I love the fact that Greta skipped school on Friday to make a point. <laughs> um, but Greta, go after something specific. So as we're closing the first segment, then, then what I hear significantly is we have fewer people represented by healthy democracies, yes. less than 5%. Now, we, we have flawed democracies, and that's a much larger number. Yeah. I'm not sure, much larger. I think it's about 20%, okay. if I remember correctly. It's larger. Yeah. So if, if democracy is the better form of governance, then we have some significant work to do in the space of rebalancing our democracies, yeah. moving from flawed to healthy. And you said the the numbers you were citing were, were from the Economist. Yeah, they do. A, they do a regular survey of 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 democracies around the world. So we will re be right back, Maureen Metcalf and Henry Mintzberg, and we're talking about rebalancing society and how do we move leverage the things that are beautiful in our world now and move forward in a way that allows us to reach the potential that we all have without being undermined by the behaviors that are progressing in our world, the dissonance. Regressing, regressing. <laughs> regressing in our world and undermining 
the opportunities that we all have. Yeah, well put. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute offers proven results backed by leading-edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Innovative Leadership co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. So welcome back. You are joining Henry Mintzberg and Maureen Metcalf. And we are talking about rebalancing society. So during the break, Henry and I were talking about why are people so angry? And I know I have recently read something and I I realize some of these statistics are meant to alarm us. But the amount of uh, dissatisfaction leading to a level of civil unrest. And we've seen it in recent elections. Mm -hmm. People behave in some cases certainly with a lack of civility. You mean like the Republicans in Congress who stormed the hearings on... uh, (laughs) I mean, that's a form of civil unrest, too. Mm -hmm. It is. But if that's the leadership, I mean, they may be angry about it happening, but they have no legal right to be doing that. What kind of example are they setting? I mean, when leaders have lost it to the point where, and this is not about Republicans or Democrats, it's about the fact that they're not getting their way, and so they storm. What example is that to kids? And what example is that to everybody else? No wonder we've got so much, uh, so much resistance and so much anger. And so not just anger at them doing that, but, but anger like, you know, I don't like it, so I'll storm the councils. I don't like what my municipal government is doing, so I'll storm the councils. I mean, and here they're setting that example in Congress. And there's, there's so much of this going on today. So why are people angry? They're angry for all kinds of reasons. They're angry because their leadership is not a leadership at all and is not showing any any exemplary behavior. Some of them, many many people called leaders, uh, they're angry because they've been so marginalized. You know, there's a, a globalization. Why, why is this resistance to globalization 
particularly in Europe, but, but in many countries. And there's a globalization scenario, you know, that, that global companies have no countervailing power. There's, there's nobody to constrain or stand up mm -hmm. to global corporations. There's no, the United Nations can't do it. Um, and so who stands up for the other side of global issues, the social concerns and so on? Within our countries, we have mechanisms to mm -hmm. stand up mm -hmm. to egregious behavior, but, but uh, internationally, globally, we, we don't have. So, so what, what global corporations do is force taxes down, for example, taxes on the wealthy and taxes mm -hmm. on themselves mm -hmm. as corporations. So governments get starved for, for taxes. Uh, because they have to keep lowering the rates to the wealthy. Um, and so they do two things. They cut services, obviously the, the people who are most in need, mm -hmm. um, and, they, uh, and they increase regressive taxes. And regressive tax means an income tax is progressive, so-called, because the, mm -hmm. it's the rich harder than the poor. But a, but a sales tax is regressive. It hits mm -hmm. the poor uh, proportionally just as hard as it hits the rich, except the rich don't care. Because if I, you know, I buy a car in Canada, if I buy a $30,000 car, I've got to pay $4,500 in sales tax. Okay, I'm not happy, I can pay that. But if somebody's got barely a job and they're buying a $10,000 used car and they've got to spend another 1500 bucks to, to pay taxes for that car, that hurts. That's a big percentage of That's their a income. a big percentage. So, in France, they, Macron raised the tax on diesel fuels, and that was mm -hmm. the straw that broke the camel's back. That was this regressive sales tax. You know, the, the, the people who owned uh, diesel Mercedes cars, Mercedes cars didn't care, but the people mm -hmm. who are driving trucks with diesel engines did care because it hit straight into their pocketbook. And so there was an explosion. So. So we keep doing this, and guess what? Guess what? They vote uh, Trump, they vote Le Pen, they vote Brexit, they vote anti-globalization. Mm -hmm. Partly for good reason. Mm -hmm. when, when Hillary Clinton called the people who voted for Trump deplorables, some of them are deplorables, clearly. Some of them are very right-wing, Nazi, all kinds of stuff, white supremacists. But many of them are not deplorable, they're just angry and they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, the real deplorables are the people who drove those people to vote the way they did. Those are the real deplorables. And you know who those are? All of us. All of us with wealth and success. Because we're living a comfortable life so that somebody can get paid 10 bucks an hour in, uh, in Walmart or in McDonald's or whatever it is. You know, I was in Copenhagen and, and I discovered that people earn twenty-five dollars an hour working for uh, working for McDonald's. Oh, really? Twenty-five bucks an hour. They can live a decent life, you know. And um, I checked the difference in price of a Big Mac in Copenhagen in New York. It's about a dollar difference. And, and I thought to myself, a dollar is very little to pay for democracy. And Denmark is one of these very, very mm -hmm. democratic, balanced countries. So. Why shouldn't I pay a bit more for my Big Macs? Mm -hmm. You know, but if I want to keep squeezing and squeezing and squeezing it, I'm causing the very problem. I'm a deplorable. I'm causing people to vote for deplorable people like Trump or whoever. So let's go back to the subject of globalization then, that we live, we share a planet irrespective of boundaries and countries. Mm -hmm. We share the impact of pollution we share the impact of warming. Uh, currency imbalances, warming, climate, 
climate volatility yeah. and all of the storms we're having. Right. Is there something that as we move, and, and we share businesses. So Empty. oh, and we share businesses. Yeah. So so everyone from Coca Cola to Kentucky Fried Chicken to yeah, large production organizations. Is there something we should be considering with more teeth in the arena of business and global accountability? Well, you know, we can vote with our votes and we can vote with our feet, but we can also vote with our purchases. Mm -hmm. um, and there has to be much, much more of that. Now, you, you find examples of that. There, there's a, um, a big financial institution in the U.S. recently, I forget the name, that, um, that uh, made some, some unacceptable comments and everybody's pulling away mm -hmm. from them. So they're paying the price for that. But uh, we've got to do much more of that. We need informed consumers. We need, and, and, and we've got to get past the media that, of course, is part of that. We don't have a free press in most of the world. We have a corporate press. We don't have a free press. We have a corporate press. I'll give you a Canadian example, which is one of the more balanced countries in the world. I forget what happened this election, but in the, la in the last election, last two elections, every single English language daily newspaper in the country but one endorsed the Conservative Party. Every single one with one exception. Okay? Uh, so what kind of a press is that? And we had a guy running who was so bad on the Conservatives and so egocentric, not egocentric, but, uh, but um, uh, um, what do you call it when you're, um, you know, uh, uh, micromanaging and everything. Mm, mm -hmm. He was so bad that the Globe and Mail, supposedly the most respected uh, newspaper in the country, endorsed the party and said, but not him. As if you could get, as if, as if you could elect the party and not elect the leader. Or as if the leader would say the day after he won the election, which he didn't that time, but he could say the day after he won the election that, well, the Globe and Mail said they're not really acceptable, so we won the election and now I'm stepping aside. I yeah, mean, that's not this is the kind of nonsense we're getting, okay? In this country, where we, should, we shouldn't be seeing it here, but you know, so... Uh, and, and I'm going to clarify for people listening, this country is Canada. This country is Canada. This is your land and my land and all that <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, that's right. And so in, in, uh, in the States, you've got Fox News. Uh, uh, you know, that um, I'm not a fan of CNN. I, at least it's more balanced, but, but I'm not uh, proposing CNN over Fox News. But I'm just saying that and maybe lately there's been a few rumblings and even in Fox News kind of saying, mm -hmm. wait a minute, maybe we've gone too far. So that may be a bit encouraging. But, but people are going to have to look back and explain their behaviors. You know? So Murdoch is very old and probably won't live that much longer. But you know, someday somebody's got to look at that and say, you know, what did you do? Mm -hmm. uh, because the, the enormous power of business is just very, very unhealthy. And I don't mean business in markets. I mean business interfering with politics and mm -hmm. fun, mm -hmm. funding politics and all that kind of thing. So I'm going to shift or reframe then the question a little bit. We live in a time of the biggest disruption in human history with technology, with globalization. What's the opportunity for those of us leading to 
pull out of this current situation? Is this, uh, can this be framed as a wake-up call that there were some dysfunctions in our world that we didn't see? You and I did not, you may have seen them. I live enough in my bubble that it seemed, my life seems good, and I wasn't aware of the level of dissonance in the communities five miles from my house, probably. Mm. How, do, how do we use this as a fulcrum to right some of the imbalances that, that are now coming to the fore? You know, Greta says, how dare you kind of mess with the environment the way mm -hmm. you have. Mm -hmm. And I think she needs also to be saying, how dare you imbalance our societies as leading mm -hmm. to this to this uh, warming and climate change because uh, you know part of the imbalance is more 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 if you're apple and you've gone over a billion a trillion dollars in, it's hard to believe it actually is a trillion dollars i can't believe that um in sales mm -hmm. um with enormous profits and that's the starting point for the stock market for the, for the next term yeah. and you have an iphone yeah, I have an so, so you're not anti-Apple? No, just the, product, <laughs> the product's amazing. It's the most amazing product ever been developed. Because every other technology did one thing, you know, like it, it, cars enabled us to drive and TV brought video and radio brought audio and all that. But this thing brings everything right in my pocket. So it's a spectacular piece of technology. But it's a starting point for where Apple goes next because mm -hmm. the market doesn't say that's great you know stop or keep going you're, mm -hmm. you can mm -hmm. glide now you can take these no the market wants more and more and more so we have more production more junk so is it true that Apple got in our phones and and damaged our batteries in my case it seems like it was my battery changed at some point now if that's true first of all those people belong in jail for robbery it's just as if somebody went in my house and started breaking the vases, mm -hmm. you know, that's no different. So people who commit crimes or people who lead organizations that commit crimes belong in jail. Okay. But, uh, but um, uh, and that kind of uh, messing around is so rampant with phone companies. I, I use the example today in the talk uh, about, about the Rogers phone company in Canada, where all I did was try and cancel a phone my daughter's phone, but all I did was try and cancel. And I called the number you're supposed to call and went through the whole rigmarole and she says, fine, I'll pass you on to somebody else. I said, can't you just cancel the thing? No, I gotta pass you to somebody else. But somebody else asked me two questions, okay? Do I wanna uh, transfer the number to someone else? Do I wanna keep it on hold? I figured, I said, no, no, fine. Now I'll transfer you to the person who does it, at which point I blew my top. Uh, of course, what's her fault? It's not her problem. She, but here's a company spending the money for three different people to cancel a phone. They're not stupid. Why are they doing that? There can be only one reason. That I'll give up and not cancel the phone. That's the only reason I could think of. I, th I think that's criminal behavior. I think that's criminal behavior in a sense. And, and if we start recognizing criminal behavior for what it is, if, if somebody in General Motors knows that these ignition switches are killing people and they're not doing anything about it, that is manslaughter. And, and we've got to stop pussyfooting. If you wear a blue collar, you go straight to jail for what you do. But if you wear a white collar, you don't go to jail. It's mind-blowing what's been going on. In this country too, not just, uh, but, but more so in the States, but in, in Canada too.
But to, to get back to the, your, your basic question, one of the things I'm working on now I call a pathway to reformation. Okay. Which is, how do we get to Reformation? So we're studying Reformations. We're studying the Reformation in Germany, mm -hmm. the original mm -hmm. one. We're studying uh, uh, the Civil Rights Movement in the United States. Mm -hmm. These were all Reformations, major shifts, uh, fundamentally nonviolent major shifts mm -hmm. in behavior. And, and you know, it starts with a spark. It starts with Rosa Parks. Yeah, I was going to say the Civil Rights Movement is a brilliant example. Yeah, getting on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. Mm -hmm. It starts with the fall of the Berlin Wall. It's some spark, something. It starts with Martin Luther nailing 95 theses on the door of a church. It starts with a spark. Some community picks it up, and then it spreads to other communities. In the case of Luther, thanks to the printing press mm -hmm. uh, that enabled his word to get around Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, today, it's the social media. Um, it spreads, and as it spreads, it goes, it becomes, or could become a global movement for change. But that starts on the ground. It doesn't start with leadership. It doesn't, it, it, unless you want to call people on the ground who are doing mm -hmm. it leaders, but it doesn't start with formal leadership. Mm -hmm. It doesn't start with elected politicians, but they act uh, based on the pressures that they're, they're pushed to do things. So that gets back to where we start, or one of the places we started, there are people who benefit from the imbalance and they're not likely to move the needle. And all of us who invest in the stock market are complicit in wanting it to go up. Mm -hmm. I want my retirement fund to go up, not down. So I am equally guilty oh, yeah. of, oh, yeah. of making that, that choice. I've written about that. What we do is we put our heads in the sand uh, people have money invested, and every once in a while, we don't know what, what some agent or some, some person representing us is investing. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, we lift up our heads out of the sand, check the bottom line, oh good, the stocks have gone mm -hmm. up, I've made more money, and put our heads back in the sand. So we're all part of it. We are all part of it. Um, so the unraveling in the Reformation is a complicated process, because I, I can't say it's all those people, it's also me. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's a wake-up call and a, re a recognition that it's not them, mm -hmm. or just them. I'm part of them. Mm -hmm. It's me, and, uh, and it's what I do. Every time I throw away a piece of trash, uh, instead of recycling it, it's me. Uh, and all kinds, of, all kinds of things like that, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, you every time cheap. I cheer that a Big Mac is so cheap <laughs> because somebody's earning 10 bucks an mm -hmm. hour, and needs mm -hmm. to be supported by the government for healthcare. Uh, it's me. So then, back to what? What do we as leaders? You've talked about this in part as a grassroots movement that that Greta and others yeah. need and to push us to also act. Also, groundswell, yeah. And, and yet, we have to act. Yeah. When pushed, I can't retrench and put Greta in jail. Yeah. Yeah. And action means a recognition. You know, I read about the ice caps melting. Mm -hmm. uh, and like everybody else, it's not terrible. And I go on to the next article. Mm -hmm. um, or I visit Chamonix, where I spent 10 summers, and I look at a glacier that I used to walk on, that I could take the train and walk straight on the glacier and go up the glacier. Now mm -hmm. I can't get on that glacier. Uh, I climbed Mont Blanc at one point. Um, and the summit ridge, it, it was about say, 
two, three meters wide, about six or eight feet wide, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and it was lovely just walking up leisurely mm -hmm. at the very end of all this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's a Mont Blanc sort of like a sophisticated walk. Now people have to edge past each other there, which means they can push each other off because the, the ice has melted so much that it's narrow. It's, it's dangerously narrow. And the place used to go up to get to the upper refuge is now dangerous because there's rock falls there. It never mm. used to be there on that part. There was rock falls somewhere else, but there was never rock falls there. Um, and so here's something I did that I could no longer do because I'm not fancy. Um, and, uh, and so that gets a little closer to home, but I'm not about to go up Mont Blanc. And it doesn't, I don't go home and say, oh my God, I can't go up Mont Blanc. Okay. Mm -hmm. But if I lived on the edge of the St. Lawrence River this spring in Montreal and, and my basement was flooded, uh, that's, that's major. That's major. That suddenly I get the mm -hmm. message. Mm -hmm. But how many people are getting the message? But do we have to wait for everybody to get the message? Be too late. Well, and then the question is, of the three pillars, who owns it? Right, so we, we often look to government to fix it, yeah. or we look to business to fix it, or we look to plural society to fix it. What is the bringing together of the three? Because it, it, it can no longer be fixed by one segment. That's correct, but it's got to start in the plural sector. That's what I mean by groundswell. Because you're not going to get the major reformations from, from business or from government, although people in business and people in government are part of the plural sector, mm -hmm. personally. Mm -hmm. So they can be just as active as anybody else. But it's harder to get institutional change. You know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said something very significant to somebody who wanted him to, um, to make a change as, uh, as the government. And he said, uh, uh, I agree with you, go out and make me do it. You mentioned that earlier, so yeah. and how that's do government. we make and that's that government. happen? That's government. Well, we ought to make people do it, but we've got to put pressure on them. And, 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 and there's all kinds of obvious ways to put mm -hmm. pressure on people, mm -hmm. whether it's boycotts or whether it's not buying their products or whether it's marching or whether... I mean, there's all kinds of things going on, all of which is, is can drive that kind of change. But it's got to happen on a broad level. Now, all the angry people voted for Trump, uh, many of those, some of those voted because they want a thug in office, uh, but many of them voted because they're angry and they're lashing out. Well, they have to realize that they're making their own condition worse. They're not resolving their condition. They didn't pick an astute leader who's going to change things. I mean, I think Roosevelt did that, and people put him in office. So people have to realize, you know, sometimes you're in so much pain, you can't even feel where it's coming from. Or, or you make assumptions about what a leader will do, yeah. and they end up playing out differently. Yeah. I have a lot of friends who made that decision, and it did not play the way they anticipated. That mean about Trump? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I have friends on both sides of the aisle, well, and I many uh, were very pleased he was elected, and yet it has not played as they have. Are they helped. still pleased? Um, mostly not. That's, that's the important thing. Mm -hmm. It's not so much the original vote, it's whether they realize, and if they mm -hmm. do, but uh, the figures I'm reading suggest that most people don't, no matter what happens, they don't realize mm -hmm. it. Now, maybe they don't realize it because they're so angry with the established politician. Mm -hmm. You know, when I read from people like Madeleine Albright and 
Thomas Friedman and the New York Times and so on, you know, that it's all about liberal democracy and we've got to recover liberal democracy. Liberal democracy has become the problem. The assumption behind liberal democracy was that if, if markets were free, people would be free and you'd have a democratic country. That's no longer true. Liberal democracy has become an oxymoron. It's, a contrad it's internally contradictory because it's led to these huge disparities in income and we've got to wake up to that it's not you know so in the united states the most popular solution of people i know is to fix capitalism okay capitalism will no more fix america than than fixing communism would have fixed the countries in eastern europe it's out of balance fixing capitalism is necessary and i Sometimes think if they just close down the bloody stock markets, the world would be a better place. Find other ways to fund. You know, cooperatives find other ways to fund. They don't have a stock market. Find other ways to fund enterprises. Um, so we've got to we've got to uh, kind of recognize that. And and, uh, and 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 governments can't do it because they're so co-opted by business these days. So it's really got to start in the plural sector, but then you know on the ground with all of us. But then. As you say, it's got to become joint activity across the three mm -hmm. sectors. We talk about PPPs, public-private partnerships. Mm -hmm. We need PPPPs, we need public-private plural partnerships. So it's got to start in the plural sector, it's got to start with us on the ground, but then it's got to move into the reforming of our major institutions, of our sense of democracy, for example, getting rid of gerrymandering in, in uh, elections and, and so on and so forth. Well, because as we look at things like artificial intelligence, robotic process automation, we are facing a big workforce issue, yeah. right? That one, we have a shortage of workers, and yet, right now, but many people will be displaced and they're not qualified to step in and fill the roles that will exist. So again, it's a public-private, many businesses aren't paying to retrain the people they're firing, and they're not re they're not paying to retrain the lowest skilled. Yeah. They're paying to retrain the highest skilled. Yeah. So, so then civil society is left, the government then funds welfare, and that's where I see the unrest as well, as people are being displaced and will at an accelerating rate. We need to do something, but I don't know who we is. Well, you know, there's, there are models around. If we wake up and look at them, if you look at Denmark, if you look at Denmark with with uh, with uh, the protections and so on, uh, an entrepreneur said something very interesting to me. He said, "I can be an entrepreneur in Denmark." Oh, I actually wasn't said to me. It was in a book I read. I can be a, a lot. Uh, uh, I can be a lot. I can be an entrepreneur in Denmark a lot easier than I can be an entrepreneur in the United States because if I fail, I know my kids are still going to go to the excellent mm. school they go okay. to. I'm. They're still going to have health care. We're protected. Okay, but the United States creates a situation where everybody lives in mortal fear, particularly healthcare. Healthcare is so important to Canadians. It's mm -hmm. so fundamental, nationalized healthcare. So fundamental because we, we don't. We live in mortal fear of getting sick. We live in mortal fear of maybe getting lousy treatment. Although I don't think we get any worse treatment than anybody else. But we li we don't live in mortal fear of going bankrupt because of healthcare costs. Mm -hmm. And it, it feels like we've kind of batted the ball around a, a lot with issues we face. So as we wrap up, I really want to emphasize 
what we talked about at the end, well, starting with the three pillars. So we've got plural society, all of us. We've got business and we've got government. And without those three working together in collaboration, we don't solve the current problems and those that are emerging on the horizon. And because they're interconnected, one getting bigger makes each of them bigger. And that goes back to then your words about reformation or annihilation. If we don't get this fixed yeah. or make progress toward it, yeah, absolutely. our future, our children's future, our grandchildren's future looks worse. Yeah. We'll be the first generation to leave subsequent generations worse off. Well, that's already happened. You know, social mobility in the United States is the lowest among all the developed countries. That, that's what, a, Canadian, a poor Canadian kid has four times the chance of getting ahead compared with a Amer poor American kid. It's shocking. Why, why did all these immigrants come to America for decades, if not for their children? So we leave the segment with potentially more questions than we started, but also the framework. Yeah. And I think the framework that you've created is so foundational to giving us a, a place to start. And your ongoing research is going to help us understand more about reformations and how to proceed. That's very nicely put and deeply appreciated because I have so much trouble. You know, when I say it, it doesn't seem unobvious, but I have so much trouble getting the message out. It is so frustrating to be able to speak to the major media in the United States or whatever it is. Very, very frustrating. Well, hopefully this will get this at will least, well, I, I can't say that this will solve <laughs> all of your problems, but, <laughs> but this will at least be another avenue yeah. to share your message. And I'm, I am deeply grateful for the time we got to spend together. Me too. Thank you. Thank you, Marie. for listening today and I hope you enjoyed the conversation that Maureen had with one of our ILA thought leaders and we look forward to having you join us throughout this 15 podcast series on leadership during these turbulent times. Thank you for joining us at the International Leadership Association Conference Interview Series, recorded live in Ottawa, Canada. We love to hear your feedback. And part of the feedback that really inspires us is letting us know how these interviews have impacted you personally and your organization. Please reach out to me at info at innovateleader.com or on LinkedIn, connect with me as Maureen Metcalf. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.